Good afternoon. And welcome to your American heritage, baby. <laughs> My name is Ed Von Rink and I am not your normal fluffy insurrectionist. And producing the show is the guy that answers the phones, warns me commercials are coming, puts the guests online when they come online, and finds answers to questions we ask. Derek Stone. Derek is the sharpest knife in the drawer, the Swiss Army knife of radio. Derek hosts Stone Cold Sports Truth Sundays at noon 30, right after my friend Sean Todd hosts the intersection at noon. You know, the intersection. That's, of course, not your normal fluffy Christian show. You should listen to both because uh, they're interesting, okay? And they lead you right into Dave Janda, and you can't beat that. And, and then, of course, there's a Saturday lineup of Abolitionist Roundtable at 9 a.m., Trigger Talk at 11 a.m., Moment of Clarity right before this show. And if you missed our previous shows, here's your chance to catch up. So go to the podcast page at whamradio.com and share with your friends. Your American Heritage is on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, and you can subscribe. You should subscribe. Boost the signal. Be like Paul Revere and get the word out. It's day 1042 since the American government has been taken by enemies, both foreign and domestic. There's a war going on for control of America and you. The government has been weaponized against us. The media has been weaponized against us. And so what are we going to do? Well, we resist it. We complain, but we protest. We broadcast. We boycott. We boycott. We go to court. We vote whether they cheat or not. We warn our fellow citizens. We arm ourselves, intellectually, of course, and, and we pray. They have a justice department, but we have a God. And Psalm 44, 144, as I've said before, says, Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Please clasp your hands and your fingers and let's pray. Let's go to war. Father, please lead us and guide us as we seek to protect this nation. Please help us to restore it to a constitutional republic and remove the illegal overreach of those that would oppress us. And please help us protect our heritage from these evil conspirators. Please bring these enemies of good and sound morals to a place of repentance. And if they will not repent, please remove them utterly from our presence. Amen. So tomorrow is Constitution Day. September 17th is designated a Constitution Day and Citizenship Day to commemorate the signing of the U.S. Constitution in Philadelphia on September 17, 1787. That's my brother's birthday, not 1787, though. The Constitution is the founding document of our nation, our country. It's the binding legal contract for the individual states to be joined into a union for the protection of the states from each other and foreign nations. Okay? They had to do something. Think about it. We started out as colonies of a foreign power, England. Most countries started out as kingdoms based on the rule of might and territorial claims. We started out as a group of self-governing former colonies whose boundaries had been established as such by the king and charters. When the bonds with England were broken, these colonies thought of themselves as individual nations or states. Remember the word state had always referred to a nation, or as we say today, a nation state. These states realized that they had to get along together somehow for their own preservation and self-defense. There was an attempt to do this called the Articles of Confederation. 
Now, this compact or contract between the states was supposed to be a framework for these states to work together, but it was failing miserable. Now, remember, if an organization is going to get together, they need to have either a charter or a constitution or some document that states the rights and responsibilities of the members of that group and recourse that can be made should that be broken. You can also have what's called a... Um, covenant relationship. But in this case, our colonies were founded by charters, which were the governing documents given by the King of England or the companies that uh, provided them funds to colonize, and they were uh, under the signature of the king. But we needed a document that actually showed how we were going to react with each other, rights and responsibilities. And so the, uh, the Articles of Conf Confederation, they were an attempt, but it was failing miserably, and the states didn't act immediately on it. It took until February 1779 for 12 states to approve the Confederation, and Maryland held out until March of 1781 after it settled the land argument with Virginia. And this central government was designed to be very, very weak. The Articles established the United States of America as a perpetual union formed to defend the states as a group, but it provided few central powers beyond that. And it didn't have an executive official or a judicial branch. So the Articles of Congress only had one chamber and each state had one vote. That's 13 votes. This reinforced the power of the states to operate independently from the central government, even when there wasn't in the nation's best interests. And Congress needed nine of 13 states to pass any law. Requiring this high supermajority, it's hard to think of nine of 13 as a supermajority when we're thinking of our Congress today, but re requiring this made it very difficult to pass any legislation that would affect all 13 states. Any one state had a veto. The document was practically impossible to amend. The articles required unanimous consent to any amendment, so all 13 states would need to agree on a change. And given the rivalries between the states, the uh, central government, the, I'm sorry, the rules made the articles impossible to adapt after the war ended with Britain and in 1783. So the central government couldn't collect taxes to fund its operations. The Confederation relied on the voluntary efforts of the states to send tax money to the central government. Lacking funds, the central government couldn't maintain an effective military or back its own paper currency. And, you know, that means they also couldn't pay off debts that we had uh, acquired during the Revolutionary War, including the uh, funds that were owed, back pay that was owed to the Revolutionary Army, the army of, uh, of uh, I'm sorry, the uh, militia that had won the war against Britain, England. And um, the states were able to conduct their own foreign policies. Technically, that role fell to the central government, but the Confederation government didn't have the physical ability to enforce that power since it lacked domestic and international powers and standing. So can you imagine if one state could say, yeah, we're going to have this trade deal with China, and another state said, well, no, you can't. I mean, how can you operate like that? You have to have a unified position. And so the states had their own monetary systems. There wasn't a common currency in the Confederation era. The central government and the states each had separate money, 
which made trade between the states and other countries extremely difficult. I mean, really, you'd have to exchange your money whenever you cross the state line. And um, the Confederate, also because of this, they couldn't settle revolutionary war uh, debts. Uh, the central government and the states owed huge debts to European countries and investors. And without the power to tax and with no power to make trade between the states and other countries viable, the United States was in a mess by 1787. Then there was Shays' Rebellion. That was the final straw. A tax protest by Western Massachusetts farmers in 1786 and 1787 showed the central government couldn't put down an internal rebellion. It had to rely on a state militia sponsored by private Boston business people, a mercenary army. With no money, the central government could not act to protect the perpetual union. We the people, and this is the preamble of the Constitution, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. That was the preface, that's the premise upon which the Constitution was designed. These were what it was supposed to accomplish. And you know that promote the general welfare part? That just basically spoke of the well-being of the citizenry of the United States. It's amazing how that word welfare has been twisted beyond its original meaning to where I've heard uh, liberal politicians claim that, oh, see, welfare is in the Constitution. Totally twisting its meaning, but that's what they're good for. And also notice that phrase, secure the blessings of liberty. That phrase implies that there is someone to bless, a blesser. You can't have blessings without somebody who blesses. So the concept of a creator, the God of the Bible, was not a foreign concept to our founders. In fact, the document, as well as its predecessor, the Declaration of Independence, was heavily influenced by the Christian faith and philosophical writings by Christian authors over the, over the previous century. Now, I chose the word faith because faith in God was almost universal among them. The expression of that faith, religion, was not. Religion is a system of expressing faith and varies from person to person. Or in the case of the former colonies, region to region. Each colony had been founded with a state religion. Maryland was Catholic, New York was Dutch Reformed, etc. In fact, William Federer oh, comes on often enough He's, he can rattle these off. He knows exactly which religions were in each state constitution. So the First Amendment sought to address this at a federal level. There would be no federal religion. How else could the states get along with each other if the federal government was trying to tell them there was a state or a, I should say a state-sanctioned, federal state-sanctioned religion that they had to adhere to that was not in their interests. So... We've talked to Bill and, and Scott Powell and others about how the founders were influenced by the Hebrew experiment in self-government. If we remember, in the Old Testament, when God established Israel as a nation, he did not intend for them to have a king. He intended for them to be self-governing and to have uh, elders 
who sat in the gates and settled matters. And there were judges at a more national level. And there was no standing military. But when it came to the common defense, the tribes would join together to defend each other. So the concept of each man being responsive to the moral strictures of God's law was a limitation on bad behavior. And so these limitations saw to it that each man judged himself because he saw himself ultimately being judged by God. Um, I believe it was John Adams who said, um, this form of government is only suitable to a religious and moral people. And maybe that's why it's failing today. And there's a reason that the Ten Commandments are still posted at the Supreme Court, you know, for historical purposes. Yet the Supreme Court forbids the posting of the original Big Ten in other courthouses or government buildings. Just imagine if kids were taught in schools to, let's see, respect God, put him first. Or similar to this, don't worship what you make or the craftiness of your own hands. You know, don't worship what you built. And don't take the name of God in vain. In other words, when you swear to something, stick to it. You know, when we say take the name of God in vain, we're not talking about cuss words. Although if you say Jesus's name out loud, then you're taking his name in vain because it's for no purpose. But taking the name of God in vain also means to call yourself a man of God and then not act it. Or also to attest to something by God and then not do it. So it talks about being true to what you say and who you are. That's what taking the name of God in vain is. So, I mean, I can't see a problem with that teaching that in schools or once in a while, take a day off, maybe every seven days, worship God down that day, but take a Sabbath day. Don't be greedy. Don't be so mercenary that you never take a day off or give a day off. Don't murder. Respect your parents and others in authority. And by the way, let's go back. That shall, shall not kill. That original word, of course, is don't murder. There is such thing as moral killing. I've seen the Equalizer movie. I think you agree with that. So uh, respect your parents and others in authority. What's wrong with that? Don't mess with another guy's wife or a gal's husband. That's a great commandment. I think that should be a rule of life. Don't steal. You know, funny Jordan Peterson hasn't come out with these rules for life. Don't lie about someone and don't be greedy. So that's God's 10 rules for living. But back to the Constitution. I ripped this off, the following from the uh, National Archives, okay? So uh, there's no attribution there, so I can't give who wrote this, but it sums it up. Just a few years after the Revolutionary War, James Madison... Alexander Hamilton and George Washington feared their young country was on the brink of collapse. America's first constitution, the Articles of Confederation, gave the Confederation Congress the power to make rules and request funds from, funds, oh, funds from the states, but it had no enforcement powers, couldn't regulate commerce or print money. The states' disputes over territory, war pensions, taxation, and trade threatened to tear the young country apart. Alexander Hamilton helped convince Congress to organize a grand convention of state delegates to work on revising these Articles of Confederation. That called for a constitutional convention. So the Constitutional Convention assembled in Philadelphia in May of 1787. 
Its purpose was not to write a constitution. Its purpose was to amend what had already been written. That was me saying that. So the delegates shuttered the windows of the state house and swore secrecy so they could speak freely. Although they had gathered to revise the Articles of Confederation, by mid-June, they had decided to completely redesign the government. Well, that's a little bit revolutionary in itself. They were sent to do one thing, and they realized they needed to do something else. There was little agreement, though, about what form this new constitution was take. They had trouble enough making the Articles of Confederation. Now they got to figure out what was lacking there and what was needed now. So one of the fiercest arguments was over congressional representation. Should it be based on population or divided equally among the states? Well, remember, under the uh, articles, they had divided the votes according to the number of states. So, okay, 13 votes, 13 states. What would it matter if it was uh, 26 votes, 13 states, or 52 votes? It's still state by state, equal representation. And I doubt these representatives would vote against the interests of their state over the interests of the federal government or the, the conglomeration of states. So that wasn't going to work. So basically, we needed a more populist approach. In other words, representatives of the population. So the framers compromised by giving each state one representative for every 30,000 people in the House of Representatives, and as we have today, two representatives in the Senate. They agreed to count enslaved Africans as three-fifths of a person. This is a compromise because of slavery at the time, and if they wanted to get this union sanctioned by the southern states, they were going to have to do something. There's going to have to be a compromise. It wasn't a good one, but it had to happen if we were going to have a union. It's politics. Slavery itself was a thorny question that threatened to derail the Union. It was temporarily resolved when the delegates agreed, delegates agreed that the slave trade could continue until 1808. But after that, no fresh slaves, only slaves that were born into slavery. So next they had to write the Constitution. After three hot summer months of equally heated debate, as hot as it was outside, these guys have windows closed, now they're debating inside. Well, the delegates appointed a committee of detail to put its decisions in writing. Near the end of the convention, a committee of style and arrangement needed it into its final form, condensing 23 articles in seven in less than four days. And on September 17, 1787, 38 delegates signed the Constitution. George Reed signed for John Dickinson of Delaware, who was absent, bringing the total numbers to 39. And it was an extraordinary achievement. Tasked with revising the existing government, the delegates came up with a completely new one. Now, worried about centralized power and loyal to their states, they created a central government that was powerful, representing wildly different interests and views. They crafted compromises, and it stands today as one of the longest-lived and most emulated constitutions in the world. Now it had to be ratified, okay? The founders set the terms for ratifying the Constitution. They bypassed the state legislatures, reasoning that their members would be reluctant to give up power to a national government. Instead, they called for special ratifying conventions in each state. Ratification by nine of the 13 states enacted the new government. But at the time, only six of 13 states 
reported a pro-Constitution majority. The Federalists, who believed that a strong central government was necessary to face the nation's challenges, needed to convert at least three states. And the Anti-Federalists fought hard against the Constitution because it created a powerful central government that reminded, of the, reminded them of the one they had just overthrown, and it lacked a Bill of Rights. So the ratification campaign was a nail-biter. The tide turned in Massachusetts, where the vote now of Mandelator compromised helped secure victory in that state and eventually in the final holdouts. So the promise was made that we would have the opportunity to amend and, of course, the Bill of Rights as we know them now, the first 10 amendments to be voted on later, in which they were. And these were the protection that were sought against this strong federal government. Remember, the original federal constitution didn't mention any of our rights. There's there's many who felt that this was wrong because if you started enumerating rights, then it would start to appear that these were the only rights that you had. And that was that was a real problem at the time. If you said, well, you have these 10 rights, then, hey, maybe you don't have another right. Well, you know, that's where people have come up with the, well, you have a right to abortion, you know. Well, no, it's not in the Constitution. It's not in the amendments. But actually, the Constitution does specify other other rights that are not enumerated. So um, think about uh, freedom of religion, freedom of speech. Well, that's not really promised in the original Constitution. The ability to own guns, that's not promised all these amendments were very important to our civil liberties. Otherwise, we would just have a strong central government that say, give me all your guns, we'll protect you. And we know that our government would never do that. But uh, it could happen if it wasn't for the Second Amendment. They might try and shut down your churches and say, no, you can't have church. Oh, wait a minute, they tried that. But then again, we have a First Amendment that says they can't do that. Now, this brings to mind, actually, uh, New Mexico, where the governor said, no, you can't carry your guns. And the state attorney general there said, uh, actually, that's against the Constitution. I can't enforce that. And numerous uh, county sheriffs said, that's against the Constitution. I won't enforce that. So there are people who were willing to support the Constitution. The question is, why do so many politicians want to test the limits of the Constitution, test the limits of their powers? They're like petulant children that say, uh, you know, that know what the rules are of their parents, but they're going to push anyhow to see what they can get away with and see if the parents aren't paying attention. Well, that's what a lot of these liberal politicians are doing when they say, when they try and take away your gun rights by fiat, when they try and mandate by fiat, uh, like DACA, which recently was just overturned by a federal judge. Well, we're going to take calls, and hopefully one of my guests will call in. And uh, why don't you come on back after the break? That's uh, 734-822-1600, your American heritage. to be courageous we were made to lead the way 
And we could be the generation that finally breaks the chains. We were made to be courageous. We were made to be courageous. We were warriors on the front lines, standing unafraid. Well, welcome back to the second half of Your American Heritage, baby. Yeah, thanks, Tyrone. Came in on time that time. So uh, we're talking Constitution Day because that's tomorrow, celebrated on Monday. And joining me is Scott Powell of the Discovery Institute, not Shauna Na. Don't confuse the two. Scott Powell, Discovery Institute. And uh, Scott was kind enough to answer a distress call and uh, come on the show and talk about Constitution Day. He's recently written about it. He's been a guest on the show before. So welcome back to the show, Scott. Well, thank you, Ed. It's great to be with you and your uh, listeners. You know, we could we could start out by acknowledging that most people uh, don't even know there's a Constitution Day and don't know why they should care about uh, Constitution Day. And the reason that people don't know about it, it was established as a national observance holiday. That is to say that government employees and, and workers don't get the day off. But it was established on September 17th because that was the day in 1787 that the delegates of the Constitutional Convention signed off and approved the Constitution that they had crafted over the prior four months. Think about that, that, you know, that uh, delegates from 13 different uh States, if you will, uh, actually it was 12 because Rhode Island held out. So Rhode Island, Rhode Island was not present at the uh, Constitutional Convention, but they later did ratify it. They were the last to, to ratify the Constitution. Uh, uh, so I'm driving here, so I've got to be careful. Um, I was wondering if you're pumping gas. <laughs> so so uh, anyway, it was recognized that the Constitution is really provided the, you know, the framework, the user's manual for how America would prosper and thrive and empower people and yet limit the scope of government. Because <clears throat> there was great concern that, that government would, you know, would abuse the people's rights. So before oh, that would the, never happen. Even that would never the, happen. Even after the Constitution, it's raining now, so I can speak very loudly. Uh, even after the Constitution was <clears throat> created and signed, it did not have a Bill of Rights at that time. And it came to be recognized that the Constitution needed to include a Bill of Rights. That is to say, protection of the people's and the state's rights. Uh, so... And, of course, that was the one of the reasons that uh, the Federalist Papers were written uh, to sort of help people understand why the Constitution should be ratified, why, with the Bill of Rights, it would protect people uh, better than any other governmental system. And that's absolutely true. No other nation protects the people's rights, the citizens' rights, as we do in America. We are unique in all of human history in having a Constitution 
that protects people's unalienable God-given rights. So this Constitution is really not a state matter. It is a godly matter. And the Constitution, you know, protects the God-given rights. No state can take away your First Amendment or your Second Amendment or any of the other amendments. These are God-given rights. So, you know... This was very unique about America. No other nation had such a, uh, you know, a level of thinking and then incorporation in a governing document to guide their nation. But we did. Exactly. And I'm glad the rain subsided. Man, it must have really been coming down there. So, uh, (laughs) you know, I was pointing out earlier, I was I gave kind of a history of the Constitution in the first half of the show. And I read the read the preamble And it's interesting that part of the preamble says to secure the blessings of liberty. And, you know, that sounds really good. Secure the blessings of liberty. But to your point, there has to be a blesser to give blessings. And if you're going to secure them, secure something that you're given, that means somebody gave it to you and it wasn't the government. It was it was God. They had God in mind when they when they designed this constitution. And once again, John Adams, it is only fit for a moral and religious people. And that doesn't mean burning incense either. That means a people that are answerable to God. Yes, correct. You know, and the Judeo-Christian heritage is one of covenant relationships with God. Now, uh, how does a, how does a, gov- uh, a covenant uh, differ from a contract? Most you know, most uh, governmental documents are sort of contractual, and they can change over time and be replaced and so forth. But a covenant, being a relationship with God, is an unviable kind of eternal uh, relationship that it, it can't be broken because it is it is a, a relationship that is established uh, between the people and God. So really. From the beginning of our country, the Mayflower Compact was sort of a harbinger of the future Constitution in that it was a covenant relationship uh, between all the people who signed the Mayflower Compact in front of uh, God, in God's presence, if you will. And the the Constitution is very, it's really not a... You know, it's far more complex, but it's very similar in being a covenant relationship. So when politicians want to talk about changing the Constitution, we've got to remind them that you can't change a covenant relationship with God. Well, we do have the power to amend. You know, we we do do have the power to... Yes, but the fundamental rights in in the Bill of Rights, these are... These are what we would call would fall under the covenant uh, relationship. Now, it, it could there could come a time where uh, where politicians would seek to amend the Constitution, amend the Bill of Rights, maybe eliminate the Second Amendment. But uh, so far, that's that that appears to be very unlikely. I, I find it difficult. I don't know what the situation was when the amendments for um, the, the, that founded the um, 
Oh, excuse me. The uh, income tax, the national income tax. Man, that that the population, a supermajority of the population of the United States would vote for that, just astounds me. I, you know, and of course we couldn't get the equal rights amendment. I wasn't interested in it. They couldn't get the equal rights amendment through. It was that it's that difficult a process to get an amendment to the Constitution, and yet we have the twenty fifth that's not really being used. That's that's right. Yes. But let's let's um, let's move on and talk about why the Constitution is so critical now in the place that we that the United States is in because we have we have enemies foreign and domestic that are seeking to take our country down and that would mean replacing our Constitution with a new governing order and this order would be undoubtedly a tyrannical order. Because most, you know, when, when you don't have the protection of the people's rights, typically then government has, has more of a free hand uh, to govern tyrannically. And we're seeing that tendency in the United States more so than ever before, particularly, you know, we, we experienced it in the COVID period, uh, and, it's, and it's continued. Uh, you know, it's just incredible that, the American people are are witnessing uh, the government violating this fundamental the, the fundamentals of the Constitution, and yet and yet we're experiencing it on a daily and right. weekly basis. In the first half of the show, which I know you didn't have an opportunity to hear, I, so I'm just going to say to anybody else listening that I'm repeating myself: we have governors of states who act like petulant children, they know what the rules are, or they should know what the rules are, and yet they push to see what they can get away with. In my state, Governor Whitmer shutting down churches, and it had to be the Great Lakes Justice Center, and uh, Dave Coleman and, and uh, Will Wagner and others pushing back and threatening a federal lawsuit, which they never pursued. She folded as soon as they filed suit, but somebody has to stand up to these tyrants. In South Dakota, you've got this uh, governess. I'm seeing a pattern here. You've got this governess who wants to forbid possession or or carrying of, of firearms for 30 days, as if that's going to solve anything. That's a test case. And then her own attorney general saying you can't do that. Now you wonder, did she not ask her attorney general first? Because that's what an attorney general is supposed to do: is advise the executive branch. And then you had sheriffs who said, no, I've read the Constitution. That's not in there. So, yeah, I mean, and yet these tyrants, these wannabe tyrants who are in control of states, uh, Pritzker comes to mind, are trying to violate. And I'm just on gun rights. Just That's just a start. You know, well, actually, with Whitmer, it was uh, First Amendment rights, too. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. So we're, you know, we're in this... Um, place now uh, where our rights are more threatened than at any prior time, and we're more divided as a nation than at any prior time. So uh, how, how do we how do we restore the, the civility uh, and, and the, uh, the, you know, the, the sort of the, the, the hope and optimism that was always characteristic of America? Well, we do that 
by reasserting the importance of the Constitution, that it is the Constitution that protects the people's rights, that empowers the people, uh, you know, to be all that they want to be, to fulfill their dreams, to be creative, to be productive, uh, to find meaning in their life by their own free will. This is, this is uh, you know, this, this is what the Constitution was to protect. And secondly, the founders were very wise. They were not just idealists, but they were, they were pragmatists. They were realists, and they recognized that, the, that all people have fallen nature and that the, uh, the likelihood of uh, abuse of power would, you know, would dramatically grow in government because when, uh, you know, government is being the locus of power, it just invites abuse of power. So they were very uh, sanguine about how they structured the system. And we have this elaborate system of checks and balances. We don't just have the three branches, uh, you know, the, the legislative, uh, the executive, and the judiciary. Those three should check each other. There was also in those days, in the early days, the, the press was quite critical of uh, of the British government, the, the the press was very skeptical of government. So the, they believed the founders really believed that the the press would play a very active role in checking government abuse. That's no longer true today, but it was back then. But the second, uh, and there's another layer of checks and balances, and that's between the states and the federal government. And at the time of the Constitution, states had more rights uh, than the federal government, and uh, I, I dare say that the that the Constitution would not have been ratified had states' rights not been clearly protected in the Ninth and Tenth Amendments. So we have exactly. that check a, check, a check between the states and the, and the federal government. And then, really, the other built-in check is the frequency of elections in America. You know, we, we uh, our, our legislator is up for vote every two years, so... It's the people that are really the locus of holding government accountable. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, people have really become sort of absentee citizens where they're not paying attention to things, and they don't seem to care. And perhaps that's why we're going through, uh, God's allowing us to go through this very painful period where the government is out of control, abusing our power, uh, abusing our, our right to freely assemble, uh, uh, go, go to, uh, you know, public school board uh, meetings to uh, express our, our dissatisfaction with you know, a curriculum that might be promoting values that just seem totally inappropriate, whether it's LGBTQ education or critical race theory. Those are the rights that we've always taken for granted, but We've seen those under attack. We've seen the FBI and law enforcement. I mean, law enforcement has been largely neutered because of the anti-police movement that really developed with with a, with a with a, uh, a vengeance through you know through the COVID, uh, the post uh, George Floyd environment. But now mm -hmm. we have so we have weak law enforcement locally, but we also have a national law enforcement, the FBI, Justice Department, the FBI, that are abusing uh, 
their, uh, you know, their power and their responsibility towards the people. They are not acting constitutionally. This is very alarming, and it has to be changed or we do not have a future in our country. We can't weaponize the, ju- the Justice Department to prosecute, you know, our political enemies. America is now the laughing stock of the world because oh, it is. the Democratic Party has chosen to prosecute the most popular political leader in America. That's Donald Trump, the ex, you know, former president. Who, uh, that's, you know, that's absurd, absolutely absurd. It, it, that- it, it is absurd, and the fact that they're doing this just shows how, how much we need to uh, get engaged and... You know, it's it's up to us, the citizens, to bring about correctives to all this because obviously these people are are not uh, they're not going to correct themselves. And if anything, they get empowered when they when they get away with things. Uh, you get you get more, more of the same, more abuse. You mentioned you mentioned the the press, the media, and of course they carry the power of shame. You know, that's that's basically the power of the press, the power of shame, and so they could point to abuses and to bad behavior, which is what misdemeanor means, is bad behavior, and uh, yes. and point that out to people at, to, to ridicule, which they would do. And as we all know, the power to ridicule is the power to destroy. I think that's actually a, an Alinsky principle also. But, it uh, is. You're right. You're right. Very good, to, Ed. I'm, I'm glad you've done your homework. <laughs> you mentioned, well, you know, I'm not a disciple of his, but I've, I've heard some words. But you, and I'm not a... I'm not an expert on the Constitution. Many more people are than I, which is one reason why you're on here, and I was going to have Will Wagner on. But I know the Tenth Amendment says the power is not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, in other words, to the federal government by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. And I mean, if we were just to obey that amendment by itself, Half the federal government, more than half the federal government, would would be cut off and deleted. Is that not right? <laughs> Probably, and it ought to be. I mean, our government is bloated. It's unnecessary. It is hurting our economy, uh, and it's you know it's it's it. You know, these administrative state people, they become because they're not they're not elected. They don't have to uh, uh, you know stand before the people. Uh, and and be uh, elected on their performance, they they tend to be, um, they 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 tend to abuse their position, and they've gotten into, you know, regulatory legislation, which is a very big problem for our country, for our economy. Uh, when you know when the Department of of uh, Energy or the Environmental Protection Agency decides that. They really need to change the way people are interacting with their environment, with energy, for instance. And they, you know, they, they really can't pass a law, but they can be very influential so that it almost is as though they have the ability, uh, you know, to, to legislate. And this has to end. You know, well, we, we talk have to about have legislate, legislation from the elected people exclusively. And when people say, well, it, things are so large and complex now, we... You know, the, the legislature just doesn't have the time or the bandwidth to pass mm-hmm. laws on all these things. Well, fine. Maybe there should be the laws states. on a lot of things. 
Leave it to only the states, things, you know. Only when things get out of control and the people are complaining should the legislature uh, act, perhaps. Because people, you know, we're, we're a free nation. We, we have a free society. So, you know, we don't need endless laws being created because those law, the more laws we have, the less freedom we have, in all honesty. <clears throat> well, exactly. You know, going back to the preamble, uh, the uh, one of the tenets is ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, and promote the general welfare. Now, in reading that, I could almost imagine that the EPA would fall under general welfare of the of the federal of the you know overall population of the United States but they won't even provide for the common defense of our borders this is this is treason if you if you violate the constitution willfully of the United States and you do not you you swear an oath to uphold the constitution of the United States and you violate it willingly and you sell out our interests to foreign nations is that not the definition of treason it is it most certainly is and uh, and Mayorkas uh, should be impeached. I mean, many people in the Biden administration, including Joe Biden, should be impeached. They should be impeached on on principle. A lot of a lot of people they don't want the blowback of an impeachment. Uh, they're concerned about you know, well, if we impeach Biden, then we have Kamala Harris and she's worse. No, sometimes in life you have to just do what is right, act on principle, because when we don't. Uh, you know, an impeachment process is a legal process. It's the wor- it's the worst thing that could that a that a elected official uh, could face would be the you know what you know the the, the loss. Yes, what's that? It's constitutional. <laughs> yes, it's and impeachments are yes, being given it's, to it's us the by the Constitution reason. of all things. It, yeah, when, when you know, rather than than uh, you know, uh, putting the elected official through a judicial process, a criminal law process in the court system, impeachment is the better way. Uh, it's the, it can be the quicker way. It, uh, although government really doesn't have any ability to do things quickly, generally speaking. I'm, I'll be honest. I'll, I want to put in my two cents worth about impeaching Biden. One, I, I, we know that it wouldn't, he would not be convicted in this Senate. So right. the, the only right. reason I can see it is to expose, use these powers of inquiry to expose what's going on. And, and that's great. But then when he's not convicted, the other side could actually make it look like, ah, see, he's innocent because they de- they couldn't convict him. No, nah, no. Nah. You know, that's the problem no, I have if, with if, this. Look, if the, if, the, if the Republicans were smart, they oh, would well, run such mind. a massive public education campaign uh, because when the Senate does not convict the criminal, the, the traitorous behavior of an elected official, then all of the Democrat senators ought to be, you know, voted out of office because they failed to do their fundamental uh, responsibility to the American people. Their job is to protect the American people against traitors. So Scott? letting Joe Biden off uh, ought to be used as a major <laughs> opportunity to, you know, to change the political, uh, you right. know, uh, complexion of our country. But they don't have the exactly. guts to do any of this stuff. They're all, there's very few people that have the kind of courage that the people had at the founding of the country. <clears throat> Scott, 
30 seconds left. Tell people where they can read more from you. And uh, really, 30 seconds is all we got. Okay. Well, the, the, the Constitution, speaking of the Constitution, it's, it's probably the most, one of the more important chapters in my book, Rediscovering America, which is designed uh, to educate Americans in a very okay. accessible way. The book is short. It's 200 pages. Thanks, it's broken up into... Folks, thanks, Scott. 